This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello and welcome to another episode of OPI Talk. I'm your host, Andy Braithwaite. Now, some of you listening to this might have already tuned in to our recent podcast with incoming ISG CEO James Rogers. And while I was at the ISG Rosemont office in November, I also sat down with Mike Gentili for his final interview with OPI before he retires in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, Mike, thank you for welcoming me to your headquarters here in Rosemont near Chicago. First time I've been here, so very nice to to finally to come and visit you. Welcome. I'm glad you were able to make it, Andy. Thank you. All right now, you've uh, recently called time on your your career with with ISG. We actually said you might be retiring after after 20 years, but uh, perhaps retiring isn't quite the right word. I understand. Right. I, I've I've refrained from using it that um, for two reasons. One is um, I feel I still have more gas in the tank, and my wife doesn't want to call it me to refer to it as retiring. Um, but no, I've, I, I've, I've been clear that I'm stepping down as uh, after 20 years, almost 20 years here. And um, it's, it's like, as I've said, um, there is never a good time to leave something that you enjoy doing. Or, and frankly, that you think you're pretty good at. Uh, but there's the right time. And there's no doubt I felt this was the right time. Uh, ISG is in tremendous shape. Uh, I'm very pleased with uh, what we've been able to accomplish uh, post-merger, bringing the three groups together. And financially, it's in very good condition. And the board of directors... Uh, a uh, very talented group steering it and we've been able to recruit and hire a very talented successor for me with James Rogers. So I look at all that and conclude it is the right time and it gives me an opportunity Andy to do some things that I've always wanted to do um, that uh, I feel I still have some time uh, and talent to do them and so I plan on getting um, involved in my local community and politics. Uh, I was involved with that in Massachusetts and I've been getting more actively involved in my local town and, um, and county. Uh, I plan on doing some uh, special project work, consulting work uh, with some other co-ops or other buying groups uh, that uh, feel I have something to contribute and I have some projects lined up there. I have three wonderfully talented and, and um, successful sons that are in three different areas of the country. So uh, my wife, Laura, and I plan on visiting them. Uh, my wife is a physician, uh, but she hasn't practiced medicine for a couple of years now, so it gives us time to really get out there and, and visit um, our kids and our families back in New England. So. I'll probably be doing all that, and I'll say to myself, how did I ever have time to work? <laughs> I think I made a comment previously about uh, you're perhaps not the kind of kind of person that would be reaching for their 
pipe and, and slippers and, and putting their feet up. So that, uh, you that did, I, you, sounds you, like I was right. You did make that <laughs> comment, right? Yeah. So it sounds like you've got a few irons. My, in my, the, my fire. the rules that my wife has is that uh, be out of the house by nine and come back by five. <laughs> was there a particular catalyst which made you decide that this was the right time to leave ISG? Um, good question. Um, I think my age, being in the late 60s, had something to do with it. And also um, feeling good uh, about what we've accomplished here with ISG. Um, and that um, it would be the right time personally and professionally to move on. Okay. Looking back over your time at ISG, 20 years, what, in your view, have been some of the main accomplishments in that time? Well, as I, I, I said jokingly at Industry Week when I was speaking to uh, membership, I said, I never thought I would be here this long uh, because I spent 17 years at Boise, which was a tremendous experience. I, I left shortly after the Office Max acquisition. And um, I never thought that I would be in the independent dealer channel in the buying group business that long. And I jokingly said, it's just proof that I am unemployable outside this industry. <laughs> well, you're going to prove us wrong now, though, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, uh, it was, it's been a tremendous ride. It's been, we had our challenges. I joined the group when it just launched its our RDC regional distribution centers where it's a classic business school case where the concept is right uh, but the execution just sucked <laughs> honestly <laughs> and um, uh, a lot of finger pointing um, but at the end of the day to network to control cost of goods and streamline supply chain logistics that makes sense um, in my time at BPGI, we had good examples and bad examples of that, as you know. Uh, we have great examples in Quantor in the Netherlands, and we had Europa that was a failure. Uh, so we tried to learn from those examples when we implemented it in uh, independent stationers. But here in the States, you have a very um, vibrant and uh, uh, effective wholesale network that viewed the um, RDC concept as competitors. So uh, it had um, instant, instant competition. So it was a case where you built it and not many people came. And they adjusted the model many times, but financially it could not sustain itself. Um, so yeah. that was a challenging time. Yeah, I think that, that happened just prior to me joining OPI, but right. I certainly remember reading a, a lot about that. Yeah. And it was a, a controversial initiative at the time, yeah, wasn't that it? that was uh, mid-2000s. And the group lost hundreds of members, and, um, but we learned a lot from it. And I, I think the industry became a bit more alert to ensuring that independent dealers can have more control over their destiny and not be so um, tied into traditional uh, procurement sources like wholesale or okay. direct, that there's a healthy blend. Okay. okay, so fast forward to 2023, 
do you think that dealers do have more control of their destiny? Or do they have enough control of their destiny? Well, it, we have to define destiny. Um, dealers um, have more control over their, um, their decisions and how they're going to handle their cost of goods and where they're going to pr provide uh, product from, byproduct from. Um, they have lack of digital destiny, as I've called it before, the dealer's digital dilemma. Uh, which is the, one of the biggest Achilles heels we have in the independent dealer channel. Uh, and one of the disappointments I have that we've not been able to effectively address the content issue in this channel. And um, I give the wholesalers credit for building content and tackling that issue um, a few years ago because no one would have done that. The buying groups weren't going to do it. We don't really have a trade association to pick that uh, ball up and do it. So the wholesalers had to do it. Uh, in many other industries, you have more uh, vibrant um, and active trade associations that provide those services. But at the same time, um, it is a rather narrow um, uh, parameters of how it's executed. In essence, the content that independent dealers have to utilize is controlled by the wholesaler. So in essence, we have wholesalers that only provide content for the most part of products that they stock and sell versus having a content load for our resellers that is based upon end user demand, uh, which is generally how content is provided. Um, I, I said many times, no one tells Staples and Depot what products they're going to put on their websites. When I was at Boise, we controlled our own content no wholesaler controlled it. Um, so there's an opportunity to expand that. And I'm hoping um, that people will recognize that what is in the best interest for the independent dealer channel is in the best interest of the wholesalers and the manufacturers. Yeah, we've just attended the OPI Global Forum in the past few days. I'm not allowed to mention names because of the, the Chatham House rules, but it, it did seem like there was the possibility of some progress on on this side of things, the, the data side, and then removing redundancies from the channel. Are you, are you optimistic that there will be real progress made? There was a bit of uh, chatter about that. Um, a lot of it is like Groundhog Day. Uh, we talk we talk about the same issues in a different fashion. Uh, but the same people have the same opinions. I think we had, yeah, we, we had one, one presentation where, where the title was dealing with turbulent times uh, and the person presented it said, well, in fact, that's the same title that I, I had in 20 or 15, 15 years ago. So it seems we're always living in, well, in turbulent times. I, I get that. And in most industries in the last 20 years have had turbulent times, as you call, as you want to define turbulent. Uh, one, of, one of the people I admire most in business, uh, a fellow Bostonian, uh, former CEO of General Electric, was Jack Welch. And Jack had a, um, had a saying, if the internal rate of change in an organization is not greater than the external rate of change, that organization will die. 
And we need to really think about that in our industry because if you think about over the past 20 years, not much has really changed in our industry. Some of the players have changed, but the go-to-market strategies, the supply chain strategies, the logistic strategies, they're pretty much the same. And, you know, everyone talks about change, Andy, but it's interesting in our channel, no one wants to change themselves. They want others to change. And because of that, we have this impasse on some very key issues that could help the independent dealer channel. And I'm, I, I don't hide the fact I am a champion of the independent dealer channel. Mm. That's what I've spent the last mm. 20 years at. Okay, let's, let, let's imagine then you go, you go traveling for five years, completely off the grid, and then you come back. What would you like to, to see different in the IDC? Um, I think what I would like to see and what I probably will see may be two different uh, views. Uh, I'm sure that there will be further consolidation of independent dealers, but there will still be, um, uh, a sig they will still have a, a, a respectable market share probably in the mid-teens. You will most likely see a streamlined in the wholesale channel uh, where, where that model might change. Uh, with the wholesale channel. You'll see further consolidation in the manufacturing community. Uh, further, further blurring and proliferation within um, adjacent categories. There won't be a business products channel. Um, it'll be a channel that is transcends over many types of uh, categories, whether it's traditional OP, but then Jansan and break room and safety and industrial and MRO and tech services, uh, medical supplies. Uh, it'll be a, a, a very, very different type of omni-channel approach uh, where it will be predominantly uh, driven by e-commerce and there will be logistics partners out there to provide those services, whether they're direct to the and user or last mile delivery. Do you think that dealers with their own trucks and fleets delivering will be a, a thing of the past then? I'm, I'm not sure it will go directly as, um, as dramatic as that, uh, but there will be some consolidation that would provide a more cost-effective and efficient supply chain. Okay. You mentioned having a, I think it was strong and, and vibrant wholesale channel. How, how do you see the, the, the future of, of wholesaling in, in the U.S.? It, it was a topic of discussion at the um, Global Forum, and I know comments were made that they, f they feel there's too much inventory in the channel. Do you agree with that? Um, no, I don't. Um, the problem is in inventory. The problem is the infrastructure we have in the channel is redundant. We have inventory in the channel because resellers need to provide product to their customers on a cost-effective and timely basis. And by streamlining that so that all the cost of goods come through the wholesale channel, that independent dealer will lose a tremendous amount of their own 
um, control over their cost of goods and destiny. And people say, well, that's a trust factor. We have to get over the trust factor. Okay. And we can do that. And I'd like to see peace in the Middle East at the same time. <laughs> so the issue we have is infrastructure. If you go look at this industry, Andy, 10 years ago, they probably were five to 6,000 independent resellers in the United States. Today we have on a good day, 1,500 maybe. Each wholesaler 10 years ago had about 30 distribution centers each. Today, they're still close to that 30. Maybe Ascendant has fewer, but SP Richards has quite a few also. So we have, we reduced the size of the resellers by two thirds and we've kept the physical infrastructure the same. So that's the issue that needs to be addressed in this channel, is the infrastructure, the cost associated with that infrastructure. Okay, so you're saying it's an inherent cost with the wholesaling channel and they need to get their house in order before other things happen. I, I agreed with two things that were said. One, there's a trust factor. You're right, there is a trust factor. And number two, one of the executives from the wholesaler said, we have a sustainability issue. I agree with that also. We need to have healthy and vibrant wholesalers in this industry. Now, even if we had one wholesaler that was healthy, vibrant, and investing in the channel, that would be fine. So you're in intimating that there will be a, some M&A activity, or there needs to be some M&A activity in the wholesaling channel. It may come to that to try to have to make, ensure that model is sustainable and uh, cost effective and delivers the return to those stakeholders. Mm. How critical an issue do you think that is? Extremely, uh, because if we look at our industry, we have so many entities that are struggling for relevancy now. And um, they're going to be making some, some tough decisions mm. that are gonna be economically driven. Yeah. And I don't wanna see the independent dealer uh, become the sacrificial lamb. And the independent dealer channel may need to take some measures that ensure their own control and their own destiny. What we've seen in other markets, and I'm thinking particularly of, of the UK, where inherently there's been a, a weak, a weak wholesale channel, or in, in terms of it's been difficult for the wholesalers to make money, they've expanded their business models to be multi-channel operators, combining wholesaling with reselling, mm -hmm. with owning uh, contract stationers, or, or even dealers. Do you, do you see a scenario where that could happen? in the US? I think it has to happen. That's the way you expand um, your, your portfolio of services. At the same time, the old adage is if I, if I add incremental revenue over a fixed asset base, I'm going to have a healthier bottom line. And that needs to be done. And people can coexist mm. doing that goes back to your trust factor then, doesn't it? If, if well, in that, in that situation, it's not trust, it's choice mm. is what it is. It's choice. Right. 
Okay. So, so <laughs> interesting times ahead. There's always there's always something to write about in the in this industry. That's what I found over the last fifteen years. <laughs> well, I look forward to reading about it. <laughs> okay. Going back to the point you made on the content and the fact that, in your view, there isn't a strong industry association to, to grasp that nettle, if you like. Do you think the WSA then should be doing something about that? Well, th there isn't an agnostic entity. Um, we all do things because, number one, we feel it will benefit our organization. And a wholesale is going to do things that would benefit their organization so that they can derive you know, income and proper EBITDA, which may run contrary to what is in the best interest of the channel. Everyone will talk platitudes, but at the end of the day, it's, we gotta make money. Um, and in some industries, you have uh, content providers that are, that are agnostic to the channel. And that probably is what is needed in this industry in order for the needs to be addressed uh, so that most independent dealers can benefit from it. Not some who have the capital to do it or some that have the resource to do it, but all. Is there an organization that exists that could fulfill that role at the moment? Um, probably not in their current structure, but I think people may come to the realization that in order to do it right, there needs to be some um, consolidation of resources. We have many people doing the same thing over and over the same tasks on content. Um, and there are very reliable third-party content aggregators out there that could provide those services. So that it would be agnostic uh, for the uh, independent dealer without feeling that they are obligated to use a wholesaler's content, which is really based upon the wholesaler saying, we only want to provide you content, a product that we sell, that we want you to buy, regardless if the end user wants to buy it. Sure, and we've, we've talked about that on, on numerous occasions, haven't we, over the years? Yes. Yeah, so let's see when you come back in five years, whether, <laughs> whether it's, it's different. Um, I guess looking back over your, your time at ISG, what would you say was your most notable achievement or the thing that you feel most proud about achieving? Well, as we, we talked about earlier, we went through a very dark period um, with the RDC model and the financial pressures it put on the cooperative. And I use the word cooperative because ISG is a co-op owned by its members. They're the shareholders. And it put a tremendous amount of financial pressure on them. And we had to uh, seriously sit back and look at our strategic planning process to say, what direction do we want to go in? And uh, what should our model be? And let's uh, determine what that direction will be and let's stick to it. And I'm proud that we're able to do that, but at the same time diversify into other categories, uh, into other channels, and develop what I have called today the big tent approach. Uh, and the ISG is not just a buying group of office products dealers. Uh, we have many other distributors and members of the group that are in other channels. And uh, as you visited here, Andy, what we do here we could do for almost any other buying group or co-op. 
if they're in plumbing supplies, janitorial supplies, veterinary supplies, we can provide those these services to them. Is that a possible future strategy for the group as the as we in inverted commas, the traditional office product dealers, their, their numbers decline, is in that? Oh, it definitely yeah. is, and you can look at, look at our, what we have accomplished. Uh, we have our group of IS contract, um, contract furniture dealers. We have our technology providers, MPS dealers and Intech. Uh, Ed Market, we have our school supply distributors. Uh, we have our Jansen distributors, um, and there are, there are other groups that we're talking to now uh, where we can provide our back office services to them. Mm. Okay, good. Anything over the past 20 years that you, you think you would have done differently with hindsight? Obviously hindsight is a great gift. Um, so, so I guess so, any regrets or any, anything that you, you wish you, you hadn't done or you had done or done differently? Um, I think had we not had the pressure of the RDC, we could have been able to retain and also grow our capital so that we could have utilized that working capital um, in other ways that would have helped grow the group. Mm. What, what other ways, for example? It would have been through some M&A activity um, in other sectors. Uh, we could have been ahead of the curve in getting into Jansan. Quite possibly, or break room. Yeah. Okay. Now you've got a few more weeks before you hand over the keys to the building, as it were. What's uh, what are you going to be doing during that time? What are the, what are the those the priorities for those few weeks? Well, we have um, we have our strategic plan that uh, we have to finalize. I facilitated that session two months ago, so we're trying to finalize our strategic plan for the next two years. We have a budget that's due to the board of directors next month. And um, we have some of our own initiatives that we're working on to try to close up. And I'm spending this time, I'm very fortunate that we were able to hire James um, ahead of time. So he and, he and I are able to uh, do some knowledge transfer. He comes well prepared for the job, um, but it's a different type of job, as I learned when I came here from Boise Cascade. Um, so. Uh, I'm fortunate that he's able to um, uh, work by my side and, and, uh, and I'm help guide him and I'm passing the torch uh, every day to him. Okay. The good. shoulders are getting lighter. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, I just wanted to say thank you for your support for OPI over these years and for the, the contributions that you've, you've made uh, and always been willing to, to speak to us when the when the time came, whether it was good news or not, not so good news, as it were. So we really appreciate that, and wishing you all the best well, in your the next stage of of your thank, your life. Thank you. I I didn't get a chance publicly to say this during the um, the global forum, but this industry owes a tremendous amount of gratitude to OPI and Steve Hilliard and his team, because what you provide to our industry is a voice and a tremendous resource for our industry. Uh, without that, it would be a huge vacuum. And um, I really have enjoyed that. And I, I wanna encourage you all, and I encourage all of our suppliers to continue to support OBI. It's critical. Okay, great, well thank you. Thank you for that support and for those kind words. 
And uh, yeah, all the, all the best. Happy holidays. And uh, yeah, take care. Likewise. Thank you. If you have got this far, then thank you for listening to this episode of OPI Talk. Please check out our website, opi.net, for news, interviews, analysis, and much more from the business products world. We've also got a great app that you can download from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine. And we hope you will join us again soon for another episode of OPI Talk.